I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. This is the show where we tell you the stories of education and get to know the people in education through in-depth interviews with local educators who are chosen by you, our wonderful listeners. So please do me a favor and nominate educators who you know, who you think deserve to be featured, and you can make suggestions of what topics we should talk about on the podcast, all by emailing our show at teacherslounge at NIU. Edu. Well, I hope you're not mad, but we've got kind of a different episode of Teacher's Lounge than normal today. You know, we have our regular segments and the usual things that we do, but, you know, we're not ones to fall into a rut. So we thought, why not throw a little change up here, give you something else. And the reason that it's different is because today, pretty much the whole show is my interview with Eric Serwin. He's a language arts and literature teacher at Guilford High School in Rockford. And our conversation pretty much covers the whole gamut of what this show usually is. It pretty much covers every segment that we normally have. It's sort of a giant news roundup mixed with a feature story and our usual teacher's lounge interview. I can explain, but first, let's get to the show. So in my conversation with Eric, we really broke down some of the top stories, some of the top issues in education over the last year and into 2020. And this was both from my perspective as a reporter and his as a teacher that's actually in the classroom with kids every single day. So these are local stories like the Rockford Public Schools tech outage and about their lack of air conditioning and heat in some classrooms, as well as his take on trauma-enforced learning and how that's revolutionized the way that he teaches. And then we're also going to go into larger state and national issues like teacher strikes and collective bargaining, the teacher shortage, and the just plague of cell phones in the classroom Eric and his colleagues had to deal with, and also how their school is trying to solve it. So we've got all of that and so much more right now on Teacher's Lounge. I'm I'm a literature buff. This is the class that I wanted to teach. I mean, so I, I've picked my curriculum. So I, I got Hamlet and 1984 are the two, like, books that we do. Really? Um, but I do, yeah. And I, I adore those. Those are my go-to choices. Eric, I'm, in, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to admit that I have not read 1984, and it's, like, the big glaring gap in my knowledge of, like, those types of books. I actually just added it to, the, uh, to my AP course within the last two years, I think, two or three years. Yeah. Because in these times... Yeah, <laughs> necessary. Yeah, no kidding. Oh. I definitely understand that. Yeah. Um, aside from English Lit, I was perusing your website as I was doing a little bit of research. And I also wanted to bring up that you're a chess team coach. And yeah. you've written a book about chess, Eric. This is this is incredible. I, I stumbled across it. I was like, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. I um, Gosh, when I first started here at Guilford, it was something I was putting together. Another coach had asked me to put together some materials uh, for him, because he, he liked what I did uh, when I was coaching in Marengo. And um, as I was putting it together, I just got, I, I get very involved in my projects, you know? Yeah, no, And uh, about halfway through, I was like, I think I think this could be a book. Let's see, just on a whim, let's see if it'll get published. And uh, sent out, like, what I had already. A year later, it was published. And that is chess progress from beginner to winner. And yes. as someone that has played a little bit of chess before, but not much and definitely not consistently... I'm wondering if you can give me like three tips for me and people like me, other chess novices out there who are curious about getting started with the game. Oh gosh, um, is that too vague? Are you talking like in the game itself or just in general? I'm going to say in the game itself. Use more pieces. 
uh, I I tell my t- my kids all the time, bring more pieces to the party. <laughs> they they love that one. Expand um, your arsenal. Geez, I don't even know. Yeah, just use use your pieces. A lot of beginners like to push their pawns, um, and they're using like one or two pieces at a time. Mm-hmm. The, probably the best thing you could do to elevate from like a beginner status is just use more pieces. Use more pieces. Okay, well there you have it. I, I can take that. I could take that home with me. Perfect. I'll give you one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, anyway, so really, this is kind of an unusual episode of Teachers Lounge because we're you know it, it's not quite just a straight up interview getting to know you we actually have an ulterior motive for for why we're talking which is that it's a new year and like most shows we kind of like to be like all right well let's either a look back at what the last year was like or look forward into what the next year is going to be like and so i wanted to talk to you as as someone that's in the classroom as someone that's a teacher I mean, because it's my job to talk about education issues all the time, but at the end of the day, I'm not in the classroom with students every single day. You are, and want to talk about kind of just some education issues that you felt were really important and affected you and your classroom in the last year, and then looking ahead to uh, what we've got our eye on in 2020. And so let's like, go through some of those. Uh, th- this year has been really problematic for uh, Rockford in particular because of the uh, tech outage that we had where we got uh, ransomware. Yes, and that's going on all over the place. I now that you know, I've clicked on some of those links. You know, I keep getting Google sending me all these links of places getting getting hacked, mm-hmm. and uh, every time it happens to another district, I feel for them. Uh, yeah, it was it was like stepping back twenty years. Yeah, and, and this um, for people that are unfamiliar with it, this was a tech outage across Rockford Public Schools for well over a month, correct? Oh yeah, it yeah. was basically it was day four of student attendance. So we'd had a couple in-service days and then three or four days with the kids. And then that first Friday, uh, we had no technology. So no smart boards, no internet, no email, nothing. Uh, Phones didn't work. Cameras didn't work. So everything technology, everything connected to a network was out. Um, And then little pieces started coming back about three weeks later. Yeah, because it wasn't like a everything came back at once. It was like slowly but surely you guys were getting a few things back until you kind of got everything back. Right. Yes. And that was mind-numbing. I mean, it just added so much stress to the day. Everything right. that we did took three times longer. Crazy. I was going to say, because you can imagine not even just from instruction and smart boards, from the way that you actually teach your class and the way that people use laptops or tablets or what have you, but also just taking attendance. You're talking about paperwork, administrative things, You know, making sure the parents have notices on different stuff. It's It's really... So much more expansive than what you'd immediately even think of. Oh, yeah. Yes. Complete and total. (laughs) And so what was it like for you specifically in your class? I mean, luckily for you, you'd imagine AP Lit. Thank God that no one can hack into the books. But (laughs) but that's not all that your class is. Usually what I'm doing is I'm, you know, annotating and marking stuff on the on the smart board or the screen. Yeah. Um, But I couldn't do that. So it was all just verbal. Mm-hmm. You know, and hoping the kids were following along and kind of working with them uh, really forced me to change up how I do things and be be more like have the kids doing and me kind of walking around. Basic instruction had to change from what I've become accustomed to. You know, we, we do get kind of in a rut. Um, just as an example, so my first three years teaching, I was a first year in a building each of those three years. I, hit, I changed buildings for three years in a row. And it really got me in the habit of like, I have to rebuild everything from scratch because it was a new course, new kids, new everything. Mm-hmm. But I've been at Guilford now for eight years, 
and teaching these courses for about four or five years. And, you know, I was getting pretty stagnant. And then all of a sudden, like, boom, tech outage. And it was an opportunity for me to, like, relook at, you know, is this the best method, really? Yeah. It forced me to be a little bit more creative and and really dig into my teaching, you know, the, the actual delivery of instruction. How do I do this? And so what are some of the things that maybe you've taken out of that that you've maybe re-scrutinized, re-examined, and that you might shift a little bit? I think the default switch for, for myself is always, you know, stand and deliver, where I'm kind of like up demonstrating for students or talking about something. Yeah. Um, I tr- you know, and, and I design lessons to avoid that as much as possible, but until I couldn't do it that way, um, I didn't realize, like, really, I rely on it more than I want to. Yeah. So a lot more like, okay, I'm going to, here's a question about the text that we just read, go do it. And then I'm going to walk around and like engage with the kids Yeah, and really hear the conversations that they're having. So another one of the topics that we wanted to bring up that you'd emailed over is the teacher shortage. And I have not just on this podcast, but through other my stories reported and talked about the teacher shortage pretty extensively and how the state is trying to confront that issue. So Eric, do you want to tell me a little bit about your perspective on it, kind of how you've seen it play out uh, for you and your own district and, and the surrounding area? Um, I think it's there's two prongs, right? There's the, the cause and then the, um, you know, the, the solutions that are being put out. Yeah. So I know like the impact in the building, you know, Guilford, Guilford this year, I think we were able to fill all of our positions that we had open, except for a few special education positions. So what that's meant for our special ed teachers, uh, you know, by state law, they can have 17 students on their caseload. So each each sped teacher has 17, up to 17 students that they are working with and meeting accommodations. So if they need extra support in English or math or, you know, anything. Yeah. And 17 is a lot because these are also full-time teachers. So they're doing full-time teaching plus meeting the needs of each of these kids. So being short two full positions, there's been a lot, you know, they're asking teachers, they're asking these sped teachers to take on more students, and there's not a whole lot of pay behind it, and it's a whole lot of work each each time you add a kid to someone's caseload. So we've got our special education department just really overworked. A lot of districts, and this isn't quite, uh, this isn't exactly the teacher shortage, but it's, it's very tangential to it, which is that a lot of schools for those types of positions rely heavily on paraprofessionals, and the state has had its own pretty substantial shortage of those professionals as well. Right. And I think, um, and we're still in that position where, you know, sometimes we're hiring teachers last minute, you know, the week or two before school. Yeah. Because we just can't, we can't get qualified candidates. We have a good, really, really good staff, but it's, it's, cutting, it's cutting closer and closer every year. And very soon, we're going to not be able to fill a position, and we're going to end up having, you know, long-term subs. Right. And one uh, of the things about the shortage, I think, is I've been hearing quite a bit from administrators is about not only teachers being hired last minute, but teachers being almost poached from other school districts. Oh, that would be nice. Someone can <laughs> try to poach me. Um, I think that gets back to, like, you know, the root cause. The bigger problem, I think, is that we've had good teachers, and they leave, right? Yep. We, especially like at Guilford, we shouldn't have teachers leaving. Like if, if we're doing things right, there's no reason for a teacher who is good at what they do to feel that they should, that their best option is to leave either, you know, the school that they're at or the industry altogether. They take a look at the workload and what we're doing and the amount of pay that we're getting and, and looking at private sector jobs and saying, I could do half the work for double the pay. 
And we're going to get into that in a little bit when we start talking about uh, bargaining with school boards and everything like that, because all those things are precisely what we're talking about when it comes to class size and workload and pay. But before we get to that, and also perception yeah. of teaching within the community, too, that, that also um, feeds into that same thing. But while we're on the teacher shortage and talking about that, I wanted to just bring a little bit of numbers to kind of back up what we're talking about for people that maybe aren't as familiar with, with the shortage or it's maybe hard to visualize what that might look like. But um, every year in October, the State Board of Education releases this kind of interactive list on its website that's unfilled teaching positions and just education positions writ large. And uh, this past fall, there were over 4,000 unfilled education positions. So that's including about 2,000 teaching positions. And so the other ones are school support services and those paraprofessionals I was mentioning before. So that's almost 2,000 unfilled teaching positions in October of 2019. And that's compared to about 1,000, I want to say like 1,009 only two years ago. So it's the amount of um, unfilled teaching positions, so that teacher shortage has, has really doubled in the last two years, which is kind of insane to think about. Right. And um, to like even narrow that down further, so Rockford, like classroom teachers, I think we have somewhere around 2,000 in the district. Mm-hmm. And last year we started the school year short by over 100. Oh. You know, so it's... The numbers, you know, like the numbers are one thing, but then it's, you know, that's 5%, right? That means 5% of our kids are not getting, Mm -hmm. you know, a full-time teacher on day one of school. Yeah, and, you know, like we mentioned before, that often is heavily within special education and bilingual education and some sciences. But from what I've heard from a lot of different districts, a lot of different administrators and teachers is that it's actually not just narrowed into those positions now either it's actually everywhere it's in even things that you would not consider that would have shortages like art or music or regular elementary education it people are really seeing trouble filling any of those positions yeah it's across the board yeah like you know math and science are always kind of hard english seems to be the only one where there isn't really a shortage yet (laughs) Um, but it's coming yeah yeah, and so. so we have this this huge teacher shortage situation, and we mentioned some of the root causes of that, which are class sizes, it's pay, it's all of these different things, and I feel like that's a perfect segue that exactly into another one of these topics that we're talking about, which is bargaining with school boards. And you mentioned that this is something that you guys at Rockford are going to have to start dealing with pretty soon, right? Yes, yeah. we're um, Our union has a bargaining team put together right now, uh, they're going through trainings uh, for negotiations, and hopefully we'll start negotiating within the next month or two with our school board. So what are the some of the main issues? Anytime we're negotiating, it's always kind of, you know, wages, benefits, working conditions. Yeah. Um, and the wages, you know, on the last couple of contracts here in Rockford, like we've moved backwards where, you know, we've gotten minor raises, uh, but then the increase to insurance, you know, the benefits like everyone else. Yeah. Um, they don't. The raises don't even cover the cost of insurance increase. Mm-hmm. And so we're, you know, my buying power is slowly declining, and I've got a job where, you know, I can't really, you know, the the way for me to make more money is to continue my education. But I'm so busy teaching because, you know, grading seniors, I go home with a stack of 100 essays. It's not a 20 minute job. You know, yeah. <laughs> I spend four or five hours grading. When am I going to take classes to actually try and move over on the pay scale? Sure. Um, and then, like, the last contract, they worked something in where now, you know, I can't just take any class online. Uh, I have to, you know, I have to apply to get this approved. So, I mean, I could take any classes I want, 
but to get the salary credit for it, I have to go through this very onerous process. It, it really discourages me continuing my professional development outside of what I have to do to keep my license. That's an issue. But then like the working conditions, I mean, as a teacher, uh, class size is incredibly important. You know, our class sizes are capped at 33. And with 33 seniors, it gets pretty rowdy and crowded. You know, they're full-grown adults yeah. <laughs> in a room. Uh, it gets, you know, it gets cramped. Um, and my ability to teach definitely, I can teach what I teach, but in a classroom of 33, it's a lot harder to reach kids individually. So anything we can do to bring those numbers down to, you know, something. And we're, you know, Rockford's not that bad. Like 33 is high. But, you know, I think of teachers in Chicago that have like class mat caps at like 40 and 45. And I just, where do you put them? They're hanging yeah, from the ceiling. I mean, sometimes <laughs> quite literally, where do you put them? Yes. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the biggest thing that teachers in Rockford have been feeling is that our prep hours are treated as if they're like break. You know, like if, when I was working retail, you know, you get your 15 minutes and your right. 30 minute launch. Yeah. Um, prep hours are not that. Prep hours is actually where I do my job. That's where I'm sitting down and planning lessons. That's where I'm, you know, grading student work and really trying to understand where my students are so I know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just takes time and patience and a lot of what doesn't seem to come across in negotiations is that I need that time. And every time they add another task, another form to fill out, another reporting thing to do, I lose the ability to do that in a quiet space in my classroom that isn't, you know, me taking that home and trying to do that while I've got my own family going crazy in the background. Yeah. And I think that's that's probably the biggest stress, at least in Rockford, is that everything the district wants us to do during that time is all good, well-intentioned things, mm-hmm. but they're squeezing out our primary task. All right. So, so. We, we kind of went through bargaining with school boards and the teacher shortage, but another one of these topics that we wanted to explore was that I feel like, 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 once again, it's kind of tangential to this whole discussion is about the perception of teaching in the community, but also kind of just in the country. And I know that definitely raising taxes to pay for schools and strikes that we're talking about definitely can play into this perception. But I want to ask you just how you feel, what that perception is for you. Is it something that's changed and and how so? It's really hard to say because I think what happens is there's a difference between what people think about like on a large scale, you know, statewide or nationwide versus their own school. Because when I talk to parents, I hear all the time like, oh, you guys here at Guilford are really great and you're so many of you teachers are willing to go the extra mile. But then I'll see that same parent commenting on a news story about teacher strike in Oklahoma and say, oh, they just want more money. Right. And it's like there's a disconnect between. Literally, I mean, I think it's probably one of those deals that literally you're seeing the faces of those people. So it's a little bit easier to relate to. (laughs) And I think on on a personal basis, I don't think there's too many parents that really feel like teachers aren't doing their jobs well. And the difficulty comes in when, you know, okay, well, we need to get paid. <laughs> I need to pay my mortgage here, you know, <laughs> yeah. where because it's public, it's publicly funded. It, I think the uh, the political moment is just such that uh, teachers unions have become kind of a, a, a whipping post for, you know, uh, maybe government overreach or whatever you want to call it. I think what, you know, the, the housing bubble popping in 2008 reduced the amount of funds that were available, you know, and now like Rockford property taxes just went down mm-hmm. because properties are valued less. And so there's less money coming in, but the costs didn't go down. You know, the cost of each teacher didn't go down. Uh, the cost of materials and equipment certainly didn't go down. We just happened to be at the nexus of public money <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and the job that we do. So 
it is one of those things too where I, I, mean, I also want to give like once again a little bit of background for some some numbers that that can back up a little bit of what we're talking about. Um, there was a 2018 poll from uh, PDK International that said in, in 2018 that 61% of respondents said they have trust and confidence in public school teachers. So a, a majority of people said that they did trust and were confident in public school teachers, but and that was up actually 10% from a couple years before then. But just over half of the respondents said that they wouldn't want their child to become a teacher. And that was a huge, like, 11% increase from when the poll had last asked that question in 2014. So, like, while this was one of the first times that that number had gotten so large that more than 50% of people would say that they wouldn't want their kid to be a teacher, which was kind of a, a really strange uh, poll to hear at the time and, and still is kind of weird to think about. Well, and, you know, my students see how difficult the job is. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, if I was in high school now, sitting and watching my teachers go through what I go through on a daily basis, I don't know that teaching would have been something I would have pursued. The population is growing up watching teachers that are run ragged and exhausted and, you know, don't really have time to like, go out and have fun. <laughs> it's very hard, right. but it is also incredibly rewarding in ways that wages, working conditions, bargaining, perceptions, I'll put all that aside. Like, I can't think of another job that is more magical. At the end of the day, every time I think about doing something else, I just, I can't. I've had a few opportunities to submit resumes that friends have said, oh, you could come and do this. You could, you know, like I, there was a training position open at a local business and a friend of mine said, this would be perfect for you. You'd make double the salary. I got everything together. And then when it came time to like hit send on the email, I just couldn't do it because I, I couldn't imagine leaving the classroom. All right. And, you know, so kind of moving on from that, too, we've got some other issues that we want to hit. One of the things that you put in here is heat slash cold. So the classroom environments in, in a temperature kind of way. I'm curious, uh, what, what did you mean by that? What does that look like for you? So this one is unique to Rockford or any district that was built where the buildings were built pre-1980, I don't know. So a lot of our buildings, you know, we don't have air conditioning in most of the classrooms in in Rockford. And for example, like here at Guilford, there are rooms upstairs on the second floor that, you know, they'll hit 104, 105 degrees, not counting humidity, you know, for a week or two. I think this fall we were really lucky, but, you know, often it's at the very beginning of the year where kids are just you can just, you see them, they're just melted by the end of the day. And so it, it's really untenable. We've talked to the district about doing things uh, differently, trying to get air conditioning in, but it comes down to money. You know, it's a big district. How do we fund this? And what would the cost be going forward? And it really does impact the kids' ability to learn. It affects our ability to teach, you know, as resilient as we might be <laughs> yeah. um, as adults. Like, man, at the end of a day of teaching eight hours of of kids and, and doing teaching, which is difficult as it is, as, as any job, but like in 105 plus heat or, you know, plus humidity is, it's horrible. And then, you know, now this season, we've got the opposite of the spectrum right. where, you know, we've got classrooms where kids are bundling up. They're wearing, you know, parkas to the classroom because the classroom is, you know, 60 degrees, which doesn't sound cold. But when you're sitting in a 60 degree room for eight hours, it gets really bad. You know, your fingertips get cold. You can't hold a pencil and your focus just tends to be on those more immediate physical needs. <laughs> yeah, self-preservation at that point. And so it's one of those things that no matter, you know, I think the district tried to 
adjust for that by pushing our calendar back to after Labor Day, which I don't think was a good solution uh, because, you know, we ended up, um, you know, all the 100-degree days tend to show up. You know, there's like a random week in September that hits 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, this school year didn't happen, but the year before, that's when the heat hit. It had nothing to do with August. Right. So it's just one of those, like, fundamental things that people in the community, you know, often say things like, oh, you know, I, I went to school without air conditioning. I went to school without heat, but okay. But we have kids that literally just can't function. Must we continue to inflict this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, um, I felt pain once too. Now they get to. I was like, well, that's that seems <laughs> unnecessary. You know, it's an odd thing. And like, you know, there's there's heat schedules and there's creative things we could do. But, it, you know, really, air conditioning is not, you know, it, it's a modern amenity that most buildings in the world have. And yet our schools are are behind on that. Yeah, admittedly, you know, not the most important thing, but it it has it's one of those things that it has an impact that is invisible. One of the I think we have two more. Yeah, I believe we have we have two more topics that we definitely wanted to cover. One of which being trauma informed instruction. Ooh, that's one of my favorite new topics. <laughs> <laughs> well, please um, wax poetic for me. So this is something that's kind of it's new to me. It's been going on for a while. Um, I think my first exposure to it was actually via This American Life. Good there was an episode done about some work on, but just the idea of um, the kids that are coming to us today, especially in a, in a city like Rockford. Mm-hmm. We're not getting kids who are ready to learn, and it might not have anything to do with where their home life is at today. It might not have anything to do with you know what happened on the school bus, but it might be from a lifetime of difficulty and struggle and how that impacts the actual physical development of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as neuroscience has been advancing and finding out that, you know, you know, infants at a very young age, are their, their genes are changing how their brain develops based on the environment and the stresses that are around them. Yeah. Um, and so working in some instruction in, you know, in school, uh, we call it like an alternate learning environment, but what most people would call like in-school suspension. Yeah. Um, we have a fantastic fantastic uh, gentleman working in there where he spends the first two hours of every day in that room with these kids asking questions like, what did you do to get here? What could you have done differently? You know, let's talk about what happens when your emotions take off instead of snapping at the teacher. What could we have done differently? And so it's a lot of things like that where just taking brain development um, and our the newest understandings about it and applying it to how we interact with the students it's uh, it's revolutionized how I do my teaching, really. <laughs> you know, where, where, you know, kids that wouldn't get things done, it was, you know, I was always kind of a, a typical teacher, you know, I was raised in the 90s, 80s, 90s, and it was like, oh, you didn't get it in. You know, we need to, you need to figure out how to be more responsible. And it wasn't until someone kind of grabbed me and said, like, look, here's what we know scientifically. And I was like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, but here's the kid in your room. Why aren't we connecting the dots? Right. You know, and that light bulb going off, like, I can I can do a lot of things differently just to make sure that they really truly do have the best chance to reach their full potential. Yeah, and um, we talk about bargaining with school boards and the reasons that people you know, do these things and and what some of these school districts are looking for. And that that reminded me of the biggest and the most high profile uh, teacher strike last year was uh, the Chicago uh, public school district. And one of the major things that they were advocating for that they were looking for was the to have a uh, school social worker in every building and that's kind of all comes back to this focus on mental health that we're that we're trying to make more prevalent and that's you know trauma-informed instruction it all kind of is one and the same and feeds into this the this, this same thing right 
it just occurred to me. So restorative practices, uh, restorative justice, I think is the yeah is what it's called kind of elsewhere. And it, came, it started a lot of it came out of uh, work done in Chicago. But that's something that here at Guilford we've been trying to explore a way to have like a restorative room where there could be a step before we ever get to like suspension, you know, because we're taking this kid that's misbehaving and doesn't know how to control themselves. And the only discipline we have for them is like, okay, go home for three days. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't seem like it's actually fixing the problem. It's just removing the problem. And so bringing that into schools and saying like, okay, here, we're going to have, instead of like sending you to the office, I'm going to send you to this room. And there's going to be a teacher that is trained in this and it's going to be able to help almost almost like therapy, like walk you through what was going on in your brain, learning how to make amends, um, and hopefully trying to teach this, this young person a better way to handle what's going on inside of them so that it's not impacting their instruction. And because if we can solve that, then we can take a huge population of students that are right now just kind of sliding through and, and maybe getting diplomas on, you know, D's get degrees. <laughs> um, and maybe we can get some of these kids and really uh, teach them something far more valuable than anything academic. And speaking of complete paradigm shifts from when we were in school, the last topic we wanted to talk about was student cell phones in the classroom, which oh. is something that I think about because I um, I graduated from high school in 2014. And Ooh. I think about it for myself that I didn't have a cell phone until I was in high school. I didn't have a smartphone until I was in college. And I think about just, right. and I've done a lot of reporting on you know, one-to-one school districts, technology, AR, VR, all the different cool technologies, but just how dramatically, how vastly things have changed in only that short amount of time. One, you're, You've been teaching for, for how, over 10 years, about 15 years now? Yeah, this is my 15th year. This is your 15th year. How dramatic of a shift has it been technology-wise? Uh, complete and total. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when I started teaching in 05, um, you know, the most advanced phone was like a, a slide phone with a keyboard on it, you know. I remember how cool those were, though. Um, yeah, <laughs> I still have mine. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, the sidekick? Yeah, it was uh, like pre-Blackberry even. Oh, my gosh. Um, Beautiful. But, uh, yeah, so, and like the technology that I taught with, you know, there was a computer in the classroom. Like there was a computer lab to go to. Yeah, I think that when I was in high school, we still had those uh, huge metal carts of like 35-pound laptops that you could easily drop on someone's head and kill them with. And right. <laughs> that is, I, I hope to, and I pray to whatever God you believe in that those carts do not exist anymore and they've got new laptops. <laughs> well, they're, they're much smaller. We still have carts, but they're way smaller. <laughs> oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> um, yeah, but the student cell phones, like just students having the temptation right even in sitting in meetings as adults we're like oh there was a there was a buzz i want to check it and to kids it's just always on and it's always far more interesting than anything i'm doing with hamlet you know (laughs) doesn't matter i can be as creative as i want with hamlet but uh you know an instagram like is probably more important to them than uh, horatio's speech so (laughs) it's uh like last year was definitely the peak where every day you know three four or five times i'd have to remind kids hey put it away hey put it away and I could take an authoritarian stance to it, but it never worked because they're just, they're hooked, you know, just yeah. like, like I am when I get home, I sit on the couch. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like all of us are. Minutes. It directly affected my students' ability to like concentrate, right? Because we, we hit deep concentration after several minutes of engaging in a task. And every time that goes off, they're redirecting their thinking again and again and again. So they never hit deep thinking. 
and I could see the results in the kind of essays that I was getting. My students' ability for abstract thought just plummeted, at least about the stuff that was going on in the classroom. Yeah, you know, They could think very abstractly about their Instagram feed. <laughs> um, but then this year we instituted, you know, RPS had a new, basically it was the same policy, but we were, as teachers, allowed to confiscate phones. And there's a whole process put in place for doing it and making sure the kid gets their phone back with a parent and this and that. Um, and the amount of cell phone use has dropped to maybe twice a week. I'll randomly see a kid and just tell him, like, hey, put it away. And um, instruction has become instruction again. And I really hope it holds because what I was going through last year was horrible. And, I, and teaching seniors, I had a lot of kids that, for the most part, had some self-control. And they were doing okay, but they were having a really hard time of it. Some of my colleagues, you know, in the freshman hallway, it was hopeless. Yeah. It was fever pitch. <laughs> it was constantly, yeah. yeah, just constantly, you know, as soon as they walk past a kid and their back is turned, boom, it comes out again. I had a district say that 75% of their disciplinary issues were things that stemmed from social media and either things that were happening during the school day with it or things that they were um, bringing from when they were at home that had to do with social media related things. And that was like a stop and, oh my God, did you say 75%? Like that's, oh, yeah. yeah. I try not to think about it because, you know, I <laughs> think depressing. about like, you know, the good yeah. old days and I start to feel my age. Like, uh, you know, back in my day, we only had uh, an overhead projector. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, can you believe that? I almost tried to back in my day like 10 minutes ago and I met, I, back in my day was five years ago <laughs> or something. <laughs> right. Oh, all right, Eric. Well, I think that we pretty much got to all the issues that we had on the docket, everything that we wanted to talk about. And hopefully, I, I think it would be really nice if we kind of just did this as like a twice a year. We, we can kind of get together and, and revisit this as, as kind of a, just a once or twice a year segment and, and think about what are the things that are on our mind, what are the things that are really important to us right now and for you in the, in the classroom and all that. Well, that'd be great. That was our show. I know it was a little bit different this week, but I promise next week it'll all be back to normal. All of the coffee cups and the tables and chairs and teachers' lounge will be right back where they usually are, so you don't even have to worry about it. And please keep sending us your nominations for teachers that you know who you think deserve to have a spotlight shined on them on this show. And if there's any topics that you feel like we need to explore even more, send all of those to our email. If you don't know it, it's teacherslounge at NIU. And wherever you're listening to the show, why don't you give us a rating or review? It helps the magic algorithms that bring more people to us and bring more perspectives and more teachers and more stories for us to cover. It would really help us out. And special thanks, of course, to Eric Serwin for being on this week's show. Thank you, of course, to the Rockford area band Kind Ofs for providing the awesome music that you hear throughout our show. They've got a SoundCloud page where you can check out even more of their music, and you can check out their appearance on our own Sessions from Studio A show here on WNIJ. Thanks to Spencer Tritt for making the cool Teacher's Lounge logo that I hope you're all looking at and appreciating on whatever podcast service you're listening on. I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with another episode very, very soon. See ya.